Hello, Classic Crew, and welcome to Classically Ever After, the Classically Abbey podcast with Jacob and Abby Roth. Three times a month, we will discuss the ins and outs of marriage and relationships, parenthood, classic living, and navigating the modern era while maintaining traditional values. From philosophy to practical advice, you'll find out what we really think. Well, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. It's almost as if we never left <laughs> because the last one we recorded on Monday. Yeah, it's true. We, we, you're getting two podcast episodes this week, which is pretty fun. And this episode... Because of the big and still as of yet undeclared news that we have that will be forthcoming soon enough. True enough. And uh, today we're going to be doing a fun podcast because we're going to be talking all things board games. All things? Many things. Some things. Very few things. It's a top list, <laughs> which only goes so far. It goes far, but it only goes so far. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to be doing lots of board games discussions. It's going to be fun. And as you may know, if you've been following for a while, Jacob started off as the board game guy. He was the board game aficionado. I wasn't as big of a fan, but over the years, as I've played more and more games with him, it's really taught me all of the different mechanics that come with board games. And so now I can pretty easily pick up new board games because I just recognize how things work and I've come to enjoy board games more and more. I was about to ask, you were describing that you were better at uptake on them, but you had not yet said that you would start to like them because you could be left <laughs> with the ability to play them and no desire. No, so it's I, good to hear that you enjoy them. I do enjoy them. Now, I don't enjoy all of them, but I do enjoy many of them. And we've gotten to a point now where you can respect that there are certain games I don't like because you have a good crew of guys you can play those games with that I don't like as much. Yes, to take the theme that we discussed in the last podcast of how your spouse does not need to be everything to you for everything you would like to do let's take that from the grand abstract version we said last week to the most pathetic and small way that you could apply it and it's that indeed i do not need abigail to like every one of the name board games that i own but instead i have some friends for that not all or even most of my friends because these games get arcane but I still have some people for that, and I don't have to torture Abigail with a seven-hour European <laughs> historical war simulation board game. Yeah, those ones aren't my that's favorite. that's the kind of guy I am. <laughs> no, no. I am. Oh, no, no. Not saying I torture you, just playing a seven-hour oh, European. Oh, yes. You yes. are that kind of guy. Yes, I am that kind of guy. Yes, that is um, true. Abigail described me as a board game aficionado, which at this point I am. And I did not enter the marriage like that. I did not enter the relationship like that. <laughs> this is something that took root in me as a slow rolling mental illness where I have just become more and more interested in ever more complex and niche games. Yeah, it's so funny. This was and I not, keep buying them. This was not his personality when we met. Although it happened rather rapidly once we did get together, and now it is like a key component of things of of him. Oh, it's not and of what my personality, enjoy. but yeah, an interest of mine. Yeah, uh, there's more to me than liking board games. Well, Abigail, I would agree with that. But <laughs> when we have people over, it is something that you very often look forward to as going to be a part of the evening. And it very rarely is. Well, now nowadays it's yeah. become less and less common, but. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a yappy dog that then just immediately gets walked away in the basement or something. So yes, there is a dog that is yappy, and then it's promptly disposed of to the basement. Today we're going to start off with our antonym of the week, mm -hmm. 
and then we will get into our highlight and then we will get into our classic thought of the week at the end of the episode. So make sure to stay tuned till the very end. But now let's get into our antonym of the week, which is Jacob's idea this time. So what is it? What did you come up with? Um, exercise I love, exercise I hate. Okay. So yeah. do you want to start or should I? Uh, you can start. So the exercise that I love is bench press. I really like bench press a lot. It makes me feel powerful to push that bar up and down. And it makes me feel like I'm getting stronger because I can make incremental changes. If you're using the right weight plates and it's like two and a half pounds on each side, so you're only adding five pounds at a time. I feel really strong when I do it. And I feel like I can see my progress really quickly with bench press. Not to say that I've done it in a while or very consistently, but whenever I do it, whenever I do it, bench press is my favorite. I really did not know that. It is. Because uh, you so rarely go to the gym where the bench press is available due to kiddo considerations. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And also when we've gone, it wasn't like you were champing at the bit to do it out loud. Uh, probably because well, you were just so focused on the other things. And also because you're so much more encouraging of me to do like leg exercises and glute exercises. I that- wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why your husband is so fixated on lower body exercises. (laughs) But I really like arm exercises. And so bench press is my favorite. And yeah, that's just what I enjoy. Fair enough. And the exercise you hate? Um, Right now it's lunges, but lunges or squats, all lower body exercises I just don't like. (laughs) I don't like the way. Um, Okay, so here's what I'll say about lower body exercises. I actually enjoy when I'm pushing something away. So if I were to do like a machine, there are squat machines where like you're sitting and you're pushing the thing away. That's a leg press. A leg press. I like that. Which is still the quadriceps. Yeah. That I like. I pronounce it that way. The quadriceps. Yeah. Not quadriceps. (laughs) The quadriceps. Sounded very British. I like Uh, that. Nah. (laughs) But um, if I'm going to do something where I'm stationary on the floor and I have to push myself up as opposed to sitting in a machine pushing something away from me, I don't like it. So I could do a leg press, but I don't like squats. I don't like lunges. Mm. Okay. So you you hate squatting style motions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because leg press is more. It's, like I said, it's, it's still, pushing away, yeah. not pushing up. Uh, yeah, it's a press movement rather than a squat. It's the same muscles more or less, but as you're describing, it's a different kind of vibe. Yes. Yeah. I get that. Okay. Um, for mine, exercise that I love doing right now is the rack pull. So mm-hmm. it's like a deadlift, except you're starting with a reduced range of motion. So instead of the bar starting whatever the distance from the floor that a deadlift is, which is the radius of the plates. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe foot off the ground. I, I don't recall. Uh, I set it up just below my knee. Mm-hmm. And so then I go from there with it. I really like that because deadlifts are way too fatiguing yeah, to recover it. from. My lower back is just exhausted and sore for days afterwards. And then that takes away from other things I want to do. So I split it up now into doing rack pulls for uh, like glute, lower back and upper back. And then Romanian deadlifts or stiff legged deadlifts, whatever you want to call them for hamstrings. Mm-hmm. And I really like that split. So I've been enjoying that recently and I've been getting strong on that, which makes me happy. Yeah, you've been getting really strong. It's mm-hmm. really cool. And exercise I hate doing is also squat. <laughs> I hate that. I really don't know many people and there must be, but I don't know many people who enjoy doing squats. It's just such a tiring annoying feeling for me personally. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. But my workaround is that I use the hack squat machine. 
So that's the machine where you're in it at a 45 degree angle and the weights are basically on a sled. So the weight is on your back, kind of like sitting on it like a backpack, but it's on a track. And so you can squat down and move back up. And I like that because it's the stability function of the squat that's the most irksome to me. Yeah. And so I'm very happy to do the hack squat machine. <laughs> so I'll do that instead. But normal squats, the worst. Yeah. Well, leave in the comments. I think that we should start asking you guys to leave in oh, the yeah. comments leave your, antonyms. your antonyms. I want to know thing exercise that you really enjoy, exercise that you absolutely hate. Leave those in the comments below because we will definitely read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so now let's get into our highlight of the week. Sound good? Yeah. So why don't you start this time? Oh, okay. Uh, my highlight of the week was that I, for the first time, filed a federal complaint all on my own. I had a register with the federal district court, but once I did, I was able to submit the complaint. And this one I drafted from start myself and the edits I received from the managing partner were minimal and not in a negative way of he didn't take a look at it. He did. Mm -hmm. And there was minimal content to edit. It was entirely formatting based. So, hey, nice uh, validation of the work product there. And I get to say that I filed my first, uh, federal uh, civil rights complaint based upon United States constitutional law and then also Florida federal uh, sorry, not Florida federal law, Florida constitutional law as well. So huzzah and let's vindicate some rights. I was very proud of you for that. That Thank was you. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so my highlight of the week was I got lunch with my brother, which I have not done since maybe I was 16, 16. I, it's been so long since we've lived in the same state. <laughs> that it was really an amazing thing just to be able to say, hey, you want to go grab lunch? You know, we could just go do it easily Mm -hmm. without a lot of working around it. It was just simple. And it was really nice to just chat with him alone, just the two of us, get some quality time. And it was, I just, it was a nice thing. That's great. Yeah. So now let's get into the main portion of today's episode where we're going to be sharing our top board games in specific categories. Now, Jacob actually came up with the categories, which is going to be fun. I think I came up with maybe one or two just to add to the list. And some of these may overlap. We don't know what each other has chosen for these categories. So we have 14 categories, which sounds (laughs) like a tremendous number. But first of all, we're not going to talk your ears off about every single entry because we don't have time for that. And as much as you might love us, and we hope you do, I'm not going to assume you have time for that either. And then also, we just don't want to talk it to death. You're hearing about a board game on audio that you, because of how niche my collection gets, uh, have likely not heard of before and don't know that much about before hearing it now. So if I talk your ear off about something that you don't have context for, that's very tactile and visual yeah, exactly. and experience-based, uh, I don't think that works too well. Yeah. yeah. Let's describe a painting you've never seen and go on at length about <laughs> it. No, nah, not quite the same thing. So we're going to give you the brass tacks about the game, whichever one we discuss, why we love it for its category, a little bit of convo about it, and they'll move on to the next. And of the categories we have, uh, either one of us may have the same game for multiple of the categories. Mm -hmm. And that's just how much we love that game. Because why arbitrarily try and come up with uh, different games for categories that may overlap? Nah, give you something a few times and then you'll know that we really love it. And hopefully you guys can keep a running list of the games that we mention. You can look them up, see if there's something that you'd enjoy at home. 
and you'll have something to look forward to because I think that not enough people know these interesting games and oh, yeah. now you'll have some context for it. Oh yeah, no, board gaming is a weird niche world. I'm gonna use that word so many times because <laughs> it's the one ready at hand. And I would love for the classic crew to be more into board games just so that we can dilute the pool of weird liberal Reddit people <laughs> who are into board games way too much. I, I am not a liberal nor a Reddit person. I might be weird, but I'm at <laughs> least not two of those three things. And so if I can just further move the board game population away from being that hat trick, I'd be very happy. I agree. And as we've discussed, and we won't get too much into this because this could honestly be its own discussion, playing board games is very classic. It's just a way to introduce quality time into mm -hmm. your life. And it encourages people to sit for a while focused on one thing together and it's not a screen. It's so not a screen, cool. it's shared attention. And the big reason why I like board games is that you also are generating a narrative mm -hmm. and a story together of how it went. There are great, fantastic games of chess. There are great sport games. Uh, wow, that sounded horrific. Sport games. Sport games. Uh, there are <laughs> great sport moments yes. uh, that people find epic to have seen live or watched on TV or whatever. You get to have an experience that you make with your family that can be competitive, it can be engaged, it can be fun, and you get to take that away. A good game provides you a story. Yeah. And it's not just the competition, it's what it produces in terms of the time you have. Absolutely. And that's why I'm very fond of them. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let me do an overview of the 14 categories briefly, oh, and then we'll just move into it. Yeah. So the categories are conflict game, mm -hmm. which is one with a lot of bitter player conflict a low-conflict game, a full-afternoon game, a wife game, which <laughs> to me means a game that uh, Abigail likes and will readily play with me, mm -hmm. and presumably might be the same for anyone who has a spouse that they want to get into something, a parent game, which is a similar principle for parents, intro game, a not Catan game, which <laughs> is when you would like to play something that hits similar vibes to Catan, but for the love of God is not Catan, again, because that game is often overplayed with people who like the game but do not go far beyond it. <laughs> Strategic game, economic game, war game, party game, kids game, negotiation game, and two-person game. And that sounds like a lot of categories, but it will move faster than you think. Do not worry. Let us take your hand and we'll move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... You're leading the way here. All right. First up is a conflict game. So what game do you have for conflict game? I chose the game Cosmic Encounter. That's your best conflict game? That's the one that I that I wanted to mention. I think ah, yeah. that is the, my top conflict game. So say a little bit about Cosmic Encounter. Well, here's what I'll say quickly, which is that I'm not a huge fan of, well, heavy conflict games. I, I like games that are a little bit more uh, you playing against yourself or you playing as a team. So mm -hmm. Cosmic Encounter, the reason I like it is that it is a conflict game that's very fun. It's kind of lighthearted and it's not really intense and people feeling really uh, competitive, I would say. But it's a space game. It happens in space and you are trying to take each other's planets in a broad sense, which yeah. is really fun. Can I give the overview of the game? Yes. So it's a game heavily based around negotiation. Yep. Each player is a different alien civilization. 
you have five little cardboard planets mm -hmm. that you control that you have little ships on. The essential gameplay is on your turn, you're going to have drawn from a deck randomly chosen for you one other player who you are attacking. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a certain point value that you're attacking them with based on how many of your ships you wager. If you lose, you lose your ships to the warp, you're left weak, other people can attack you. You're going to try and get any number of other players on board with you to devote their ships to the attack as well. And then once you've made your alliance, the defender gets to make their own alliance. And players who help defend get a little bonus for helping to defend, so they have an incentive. And then you play cards and you take other things into account to see who's ultimately going to have the most power. Whoever wins, wins. And the loser's ships all get sent to the graveyard, basically. And you can very slowly get those back. And it's a game of constantly shifting alliances. First player to colonize five other players' planets wins. What's really fun about this game is that I think the standard edition comes with 54 different alien civilizations yeah, that each crazy. have their own power that completely flips the game on its head. So there's one alien called the zombie. Its ships do not die. It can never lose them, ever. <laughs> that really changes things, doesn't it? Yeah. There's another uh, alien called the loser. When it would lose a battle, it wins. When it would win, it loses which is really crazy. Yeah, it's, and I it's think really the reason wacky. yeah, it gets really wacky and I think the reason that I like this game as you're kind of explaining the rules to me again is just that it is rules light. It's there's not so much that you have to understand. A lot of it is just interpersonal negotiations with each other, mm -hmm. which is really fun. So, what did you choose? So, I chose Pax Pamir. Ah. A game Abigail does not like. I do not like this game. <laughs> so Pax Premier, I love. It's one of these more far out there games. It's a game where the players each play, and it's up to five people, so is Cosmic Encounter. Mm -hmm. uh, up to five people play 1800s Afghan regional warlords competing to play the British, Russians, and Afghan king all off against one another in order to secure your own personal position in Afghanistan. The gameplay is entirely competitive and player against player because you're all fighting to get points. Mm -hmm. You want to, at the end of a fourth scoring round, have the most points. But the way that it works is that during a scoring round, if the position of the British, the Russians, the Afghan king are all close enough to each other in power, then it's whichever player has the most of his own troops out there is going to score points. And then the second most um, troops out there for another player gets, you know, a smaller amount of points. But if one of those great powers, Brits, Russians, Afghan king, has a dominant amount of force on the board, then the scoring is entirely about who's the most loyal to that person. <laughs> and anyone who's not loyal to that force doesn't score any points. So wow. you as a player are constantly trying to jockey to either set up the conditions so that when there's a scoring round and they're kind of random and can pop out of nowhere, you are set up to either have your troops out there and you've made it even enough, or you've made it so that your patron has the most power and you're the most loyal to him. So you're going to get the most points. So everything is relative. You only score points if you're doing more of something than another person and you're all fighting to try and set what the scoring conditions will be. And right. that is so in your face and everything you do is entirely affecting everyone else that you can't just go your own way and try and do your own independent thing better than another person. Uh-uh. Everything you do is entirely about interfering with another person or setting <laughs> yourself up. And I love that. Yeah. I think another thing that you love about this game is that it's very pretty to look at. There's oh, a lot of beautiful beautifully designed. pieces. 
Um, but I find that the rules for this game pour out of my ears. Like I, it's not that there's, it's a super heavy rules game, but I'm not good at that shifting, yeah. <laughs> shifting rules stuff, uh, or rather shifting points, the scoring, scoring conditions. stuff. I'm very much, I'm much better when it's like, okay, here's the rules and here's how you're going to get points. When things can change on the, like at the whim of the game, I'm not very good at that. So I can understand why you enjoy it, but it's not so much my thing. Yeah, Abigail likes it when a game has pretty much a single task that you're trying to maximize and do very well. And I like games where you are dealing with essential limitation to try and spin multiple plates, as mm-hmm. it were, and try and just do enough of each thing well so that you don't collapse. Right. Whereas Abigail wants to do one thing very well. Th- perfectly. <laughs> and uh, I like those games too. But to me, the more stuff it throws at you to balance, the more entertaining it is to me because I like the idea that your entire thing can be thrown off by like one wrench in the gears because it's very dramatic to me. And it <laughs> means that you get crazy wacky things that happen okay. and it's just complex enough that you can't anticipate every move a person would make yeah, yeah. so what's next one okay so that was our conflict games abby was cosmic encounter and i was pax premier for high player interactivity and in conflict mm-hmm. yep then we have a low conflict game so this could be a cooperative game or a competitive game but where you're not really in each other's face so what'd you choose so for a low conflict game i chose ghost stories Ooh, that's a fun one. I like ghost stories a lot. And it's a smaller game. Like, it doesn't take up a total of full table. It doesn't take up a lot of table real estate. So ghost stories is a, I guess, it's a one to four player uh, cooperative game. You could play this on your own. Uh, I've never done solo board games. I don't intend to do solo board games, but it's a rising thing. I get it. People play single player video games. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever it is. I can't internalize the idea that you would play a board game by yourself. Yeah, yet, I mean, it's funny because. And he, yet I know solitaire exists. I was going to say that even growing up with my family, if you played solitaire, it was in the room while everyone else was hanging out and someone would probably help you. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I could imagine playing a board game on my own either. But what is Ghost Stories about? So Ghost Stories is a cooperative game where you play four Taoist monks in a fantasy medieval China, but really you're just in a village trying to survive the night against the hordes of an evil Chinese sorcerer. So he's throwing all these demons Mm -hmm. at you Mm -hmm. and you are racing around the board. Each player is one of the monks and on your turn, you move your monk to a different position within the village to either try and make use of one of the locations within the village, they all have different powers, or uh, move adjacent to where the demons are located along the edges of the board and try and banish them. And the essential gameplay loop is that when you try and banish a demon, your character always rolls at least one die, but you can use powers, pickups, things like that to roll multiple dice. The dice are custom for this game. They have a bunch of different colors, one on each face of the die, and each of the demons has a certain number of those colors on them. When you roll the dice, you're trying to match up the dice colors with the color on the demon. If you get a match, the demon is banished. Simple as. Can we just talk about really quickly how you keep these rules in your head? I can remember a general feeling I have toward a game. I enjoyed playing this game, but if I pick that game up, I will need to reread the rules again. Jacob's like, oh, I know exactly what I need to know, and I have no need to look at the rules again because once I've played this game at least maybe twice, it's set in stone. 
It's incredible to me, to be honest. Oh, wait until we talk about Nevsky. <laughs> that is a game that I've memorized back and forth with its 44-page oh rule book. Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. But then again, I am a lawyer. Yeah, that's your thing. Dealing with rules is literally my job. <laughs> I mean, it's the way it goes. When you banish the demons, they're gone, and you're racing around to try and survive the night long enough that the evil sorcerer shows up as a boss. Mm-hmm. And you have a big boss battle with him, and hopefully you win. It's a lot of fun because you're working with your friends to try and do this, and the game is difficult, and it even has adjustable difficulty settings. Like You can make the game right, more challenging that. once you get good at it and familiar with it. So it's just a lot of fun. It has two expansions. I've played neither. I don't know that we would require them, but I also love to throw away our money on expansions to <laughs> board games. You do love expansions. So uh, maybe that's another stupid purchase I can make. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the base game, I highly recommend if you can acquire it. Yeah, it's a really good one. And my game is also in a spooky... It's a spooky game, and we like playing spooky games during the October season, we th- like Halloween season. We uh, think it's what fun. season is that? Fall. Spooky season. Spooky season. Yeah. I said, yeah. Oh, I, did, I said October you, season yeah, and Halloween season, season, but I didn't say spookum scarum. You betrayed yourself. Spooky season. Yeah. So during spooky season, we do have a few board games that we really like playing because they're very much on theme for the for the time period. So my uh, my low conflict game. Can you guess what it is? Betrayal at House on the Hill. Yes, Betrayal yeah. at House on the Hill. I really like that game. It, again, is low rules, very collaborative until the end, and based on stories. I really like games that have a narrative that tell a story. I think that's really fun. And Betrayal on the House on the Hill is really great. It's very much like that. Um, so basically, the simple description of the of the gameplay, and you're going to correct me because I'm going to make mistakes, <laughs> is that you're building a house together as you walk through it. I I'm not so you're, good at you're it. building out a map. So you're in a spooky haunted house and you start with one tile. And as you move out of a room, you're drawing a tile that has different rooms on it to put down connecting the rooms. So as you move through, you're building out the map as if discovering the layout of the house. Yes. But it's unique every time because you shuffle the tiles and the rooms have different events or things that befall you. But all this is to the effect of gathering items, suffering events, laying out the map until finally the haunt occurs. Yes. And the haunt is one of 50 different scenarios in the game where one of the players is pitted against all the other players. Mm -hmm. And they all have unique conditions for winning for both sides. And you don't necessarily know how the opposite side is supposed to win. And so it's just a lot of fun and they can range all over the place they're not particularly well balanced this is not a game that's competitive in the traditional sense of like a finely tuned uh, tool or like a razor's edge it's not chess it's a wacky raucous time that it might fizzle out or it might be really fun but it's uh, it's reliably goofy and full of chuckles and easy to set up and play very easy to play overhead and up to six players yeah which is nice okay next up full afternoon Right? Yes, a full afternoon game. So these are games that you set a day aside for uh, with the advent of Tabletop Simulator, which is that uh, video game in which you can play all these board games because it's basically virtual board game space and it has mods that you can load in i highly recommend checking it out if you like board games and if people at a great distance that you would like to play them with it's how me and the boys (laughs) uh stay in touch and play a lot of board games you know what you've mentioned the boys in every podcast so far they really need to subscribe so they can hear yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) we'll crack some skulls Um, but, but the in are, person, yes. you would play this all in one go. This is a game big enough that you can't really put it aside and pick it up later easily. It's 
or you're, finish it in two hours. It's an occasion. Yeah. So I assume we chose the same game, but I don't know. Well, what would you choose? Twilight Imperium. Uh, yes, I chose Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Okay, this is a game that I'm going to say most of you are not going to buy. It is a <laughs> very large, intense, rules-intensive game. I mean, it's very expensive as well, I think. Yeah, it's like $120. Yeah, it's a, it's a big game. But if you only have, let's say you're somebody who it doesn't collect games. Let's say you're somebody who has like five, ten games in your cabinet and you want a game that you can play all day and you can devote your time and energy to learning and playing, this is a really good game. Because once you learn it and you know how to play, and I say this as someone who doesn't like rules, intensive board games, it's easy to pick up again and again and again. And we've played this game a number of times now and mm-hmm. have enjoyed it every time. And you only get better at the rules over time. Yes. And the game has a depth that is rewarding, but it's so sorry. Let me give you some background on the game. The game (laughs) is like a space opera board game. So each player is a big galactic alien civilization, but it's not like Cosmic Encounter because Cosmic Encounter is basically a card game. You have a handful of cards and you play things down and the most... Uh, that there are game components is the tiny little uh, cardboard planets that you have in plastic ships. Whereas Twilight Imperium takes up your entire dining table and then some. You have a big galactic map of these hexagonal cardboard tiles that have planets on them. And you have a home planet. You have a player mat with your species on it. And you have all these plastic ships and you build them and you send them out there to explore and take over planets and you have different objectives. And it's not just straight up a war game where you're trying to murder everyone else. Instead, you're trying to race against the other people to compete these complete 10 objectives or get 10 points rather. And the objectives only kind of get trickled out slowly over time and they're randomized. So it has you really negotiating and dealing and making alliances with other people. So the great joy of this game That's what happens above the table, as they say. It's your diplomacy and negotiations and alliance building with other people. And then the betrayals and then the great, uh, you know, giant galactic fleets swooping into each other at the last second. It's a lot of fun. It's really fun. Yeah, it's a great game. There are entire podcast, literally entire podcasts devoted to this one board game. It's massive, but it's also goofy. It's not very finely balanced and it doesn't need to be. And even though it takes a very long time to play, it's also very silly yes. uh, if you let it be. And so it's a tremendous amount of fun. Yeah. No, oh, and let me say about Twilight Imperium, we have had the boys over to play it. The boys are in Portland, they're in Virginia, they're on the west coast of Florida, and they're in Omaha. And we all get together once or twice a year and play Twilight Imperium. Yeah, it's really great. Everybody flies to one location and we all play together. Yeah, that's great. And whoever's in the lead this time might have the great privilege of holding the kiddo. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he's so cute. It's the best prize in the world. Yeah, it's the new speaker token is holding the baby. (laughs) Okay, number four. Wife game. Okay. So I'll say mine, and then I'll be very curious to learn what yours is. But my wife game is Clans of Caledonia. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I do like that game. Clans of Caledonia is, and it's going to come up actually again on my list. I almost put it on my list and then didn't. Wow. Wow. So it's really not a wife game then because it doesn't even appear on your list once. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a it's similar to a Catan in that you have a map of these hexagonal shaped tiles and you are building an economy and you're trying to do the generation of resources and spending them well for the purposes of having the most points at the end of the game. But unlike Catan, it's a little bit more complex. You're a Scottish clan in the 1800s. 
trying to fulfill these export contracts. All these like, German style games sound like the driest thing in the world, but it's very fun and it's uh, a fantastic game because it appears more on my list later. I'll talk about it more in other categories, yeah. but I'll say as far as the wife component goes, this is the most complex game that Abigail really enjoys that we can play just us or with other friends. And Abigail always has a good time, is always enthusiastic about playing, can beat me at, and has a decent depth to it. Yeah. And so it's very satisfying to me for the two of us to play this. And the fact that she's so engaged makes it even better. So my wife game, I'm surprised you didn't guess it because you specifically bought it for me because Fog I- Fog of Love? Was Fog of Love. Fog of Love. Fog of Love is a really cute game, which again, low rules. And it's literally a romantic, not comedy, but sort of, it could be comedy or drama. Um, where you are playing through scenarios in a relationship and you have to make decisions in order to essentially get to the end of the relationship and have a happy ending. It's very, very cute. But the twist on this is that you each have a hand of cards for what is possible in the relationship for its end state. And depending on what you each have left in your hand at the end of the game, the relationship goes in certain directions. And they're not all good. You can end up with codependency or <laughs> a relationship hanging by a thread right. or something transactional or true love. So the game's not saccharine. No, it's not. Yeah. And it's but got it's a very, very cute. Scandinavian abstract minimalist aesthetic. <laughs> I like it a lot and it's fun. And we haven't played it in a really long time, but we should play it again. I think one thing I will say is when you have two people who have different tastes in board games... You don't often play games that one of you likes. You have to find those few that both of you like. And to get the other person to play a game that the one of you doesn't like as much, is a, you got, it's a special occasion kind of game. Well, that's why I had Clans of Caledonia for my wife game. That's, a game we're both very happy I to play. See. Very good mm -hmm. point. Okay. So wait, what would your husband game be? Oh, no. A game that you love that I also enjoy playing that... Ooh, that's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Twilight Imperium would be that thing, but it wouldn't just be the two of us. Well, it doesn't have to be the two of us. It's a game that's satisfying to you to play that your partner also really likes to play. So you're like, I'm, I'm happy if we play this together because you are enjoying it and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I think Twilight Imperium is a good game like that. Get you a woman who <laughs> would say that the game she likes to play so much that her spouse loves is Twilight Imperium 4. That is, wow. <laughs> The boys have so much to live up to for whatever <laughs> women they marry. <laughs> First of all, none of them will be able to join the group chat. Second of all, none of them would say that about Twilight Imperium. Third of all, no one would feel that way about the boys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number five is a parent's game. Yes, and this is a game that is suitable to introduce your parents to and enjoy playing with them. I wonder if I, we're going to say the same one. I have a feeling we What's will. yours? Chinatown. Nah. Really? Cosmic Encounter. Oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we mentioned Cosmic Encounter earlier. So I'll just say my brief bit about it for parents, which is that we have successfully played it with Abigail's parents and had a great time and have played it with my parents and had a great time, which proves it is a good parent game because it's very rare to find a game that both sets of the parents are willing to play and can enjoy and can learn and all the things entailed in there. So that is another thing in favor of Cosmic Encounter, in my opinion. So the reason I said Chinatown is for the same reason. We've played that with both sets of parents. Mm -hmm. Both have enjoyed it. Um, Chinatown is a negotiation game, lighter on the rules, but very player interactive. 
And it's really funny because you're trying to get things from the other person. So the idea of Chinatown, I'm not going to be great at describing the rules, but I'm going to give it a go. Oh, is that you have lots on a map on the board. So it's a map of New York, Chinatown in the 1960s, like three or four blocks. And each block is divided into these square lots. Yes. And your goal is to build businesses that take up a number of lots, okay? So let's say you have a tile that says um, uh, laundry and it says three. You want to build three connecting lots and connect them with tiles that say laundry. So what you're going to do is trade with the other players to get connecting lots or and or to get uh, more tiles that say laundry on them. So you're negotiating constantly with money, with lots, and with different businesses. And it is a lot of fun. Everyone we've played it with has enjoyed it, no matter what level of um, experience they have with board games. And it's a really good game to play with parents because they get to interact rather than have to memorize a bunch of rules. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I put Cosmic Encounter as the parent game instead of Chinatown Mm -hmm. is that Cosmic Encounter encourages more wackiness Mm. which gets more entertainment value out of your mom for example and your mom and dad together Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's good whereas my parents both can fully enjoy chinatown your your parents need the wackiness Mm -hmm. uh just compared to chinatown but yeah no chinatown's a great game and it's all about making the most cash at the end so you get to use all of your favorite business memes and quote all the movies you want about making paper that's a great time (laughs) Next up is intro, intro to board games. What you would like to introduce someone to maybe more complicated board games, not just like a party game. Oh, see, for me, intro board game is literally just if you were to take someone who does not play board games or does not think that they like them and then play a game with them, what would you play with them to have a good time? That's an actual game and not just like That's a what I just said. Yeah. yeah no, well, literally. intro to more complicated. It doesn't need to be complicated, in my opinion. I get, right, but wow. I don't know if you guys heard that, but it is storming outside. There was thunder cracking outside, and I don't and know if the mic picked it up. downpour outside. Crazy. We do live in a tropical climate. <laughs> so I'm going to go first this time. All right. And I chose Catan. <laughs> I think Catan is a really good intro to board games. Now, Settlers of Catan, if you haven't heard of it, most people have heard of it because that's probably the most complicated game that most people play. That That's, how, that's as complicated as it gets. Um, but it is very much an intro to complicated games if you play more complicated games than that. So Settlers of Catan is a fun... What, what is it? What, an econ game? Uh, so it's an engine building and negotiation Euro game. Okay. And it's... I love that game. I grew up on that game. That's what I learned how to play board games with. My family played it together and I have a a fondness for it because one of the mechanics in the game, I'm not going to get into describing it too much, but all I'm going to say is that the one of the mechanics in the game is that you need to roll certain numbers on the dice to get the resources that you need to win the game. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's an element of luck which means that you don't have to feel so bad if you lose because you played wrong. <laughs> and I like games with an element of luck. This is the op- this is something that Jacob and I very much disagree on, but I like games with an element of luck because it means that you can say, "Oh, well the game kind of messed me up and the game was the reason that I didn't win," as opposed to, "Oh, I made a terrible mistake and I can only blame myself." 
No, I know exactly what you mean, and I agree. It's just the amount of fluck is for you, and I might disagree. Uh, games that are... Kiddo is sitting in Abigail's lap, chewing on her finger, and he's got thoughts. What do you think about Catan, mister? I do hope you leave this in. <laughs> I so, no, Catan's a great introductory game. The reason why I wouldn't have put it down is because we have tried to play Catan with my family, and my parents did not have an easy time working with it. And also, your parents they, have they played grew it. Up with it. Yeah, but then when we've tried to play it with them nowadays, they probably forgot how it worked entirely because it's a little bit beyond them. <laughs> so, and I know this isn't the parent game category, but that to me speaks of an issue with explaining it to some intro people. Okay. Whereas the game I've had success with at the intro level. Chinatown. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's also a good game. I mean, that's why I chose it for parents. So you put boomers in front of Chinatown, you can get a game going. You put Gen X, who are too cool for school, in front of Chinatown, you can get a game going. Mm-hmm. And millennials, well, you can just get a game going. And it, <laughs> yeah, it just works very well. So Chinatown's a great introductory game because the game mechanics are all simple enough, and the real gameplay is just negotiation. Which I mean, you don't need to explain people how to negotiate what we all do so it works very well and it's got a lot of fun stories to be had with it and again the rules overhead you explain the game within five minutes and you're good to go for a solid you know 70 80 minutes of gameplay yeah so number seven is not Catan, which is funny because the last one was Catan for for you yeah uh why don't you go first okay my not Catan game is lords of vegas which unfortunately is very difficult to find a copy of because it's currently out of print but apparently it's going back into print sometime soon but this is a game where all the players are rival budding casino magnates in las vegas and you're all trying to get a lots on a map so it's similar to chinatown in that way but your whole goal here is to build up different casinos and hope that uh, certain cards for these casinos get drawn from the deck on a player's turn in order to score points there and it's a tremendous amount of fun because it's a lot of negotiation but it's also a lot of strategy to try and build the right casinos in the right places and box other players out and so unlike chinatown where it's only negotiation for the actions that you can do here that's one of several things you can do and so it's a little bit more like Catan in that it's negotiation plus trying to build things out on a board and generate resources that way but it's not Catan, which i can get quite tired of because everyone plays it all the time so it's a fun spin on things that's really its own unique thing and we've only ever had a very fun time playing it each time we've played i would actually say that this is one of my favorite games so it's a little unfortunate we don't have it in print, but we play it on Tabletop Simulator. So mm-hmm. as we mentioned before, if you're interested in playing a game online with friends, Tabletop Simulator is the best way to do that. And this game is available there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My game for Not Catan is Above and Below. So Above and Below is probably one of my favorite games besides Lords of Vegas. Um, I've mentioned it maybe before on my channel a number of times. It has one of the elements that I really like, which is a storybook. <laughs> Uh, that's one of my favorite things is when you have to like solve a a storyline and it's an econ game. So you're right. It's an econ. Yeah, it's, a, engine it's an building engine game. building uh, econ, econ game, game. And, and worker placement. And the art of it is really cute. The, the story is really fun. I just really like this game. Jacob doesn't like it as much. I'm not exactly sure why, but I just really, really like it. Maybe because it's a little bit less player interactive and more. Yeah, it's a solo. little light on conflict. 
And so it's more people, and I would have thought you would put this for your low-conflict game, which is my, uh, not criticism of it, but just I don't prefer the low-conflict games. Um, wow, the thunder is powerful. The thunder here is crazy. Yeah. It's like thundering every, I don't know, 30 seconds right now. Yeah, it's really potent. Um, Above and Below is a very cute game. It's very nicely designed. It's a great experience to play. I just like games where they're going to be hurt feelings afterwards, <laughs> or at least a story about the great conflict between the players. That's and funny. above and below, you're just more trying to each do your own thing well, and so there's not so much opportunity to uh, ruin someone else's entire plan, except by, oh, you bought the building I wanted to build. Darn it. <laughs> that, to me, is not enough bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see we play a little differently. Next up is Strategic Game. So what I meant by that was a game that's like heavy strategy. So, you know, it doesn't have to be about wars. It's not specific. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. If you guys aren't hearing this, it's hilarious because it's crazy outside. Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking just a strategically intensive, presumably more rules complex game. Okay. So I chose Res Arcana. Ah. I love Res Arcana. That's a game that we don't play enough, in my opinion. But again, it's a more it's a more economic game in that it has more it's, engine building yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's more engine building and it's a race game because you're racing to have 10 points mm -hmm. through building an effective engine. And it plays pretty quickly. It's about a 40 minute or less game. And it's smaller. It doesn't take up a ton of real estate. It's all cards. I really like the look of it. I think that it's beautiful. I like the little pieces. I think they're really fun. I am somebody who enjoys an aesthetically pleasing game. Oh, yeah. I really like games that look good and games that are gray and sad looking. There's a certain game I have in mind, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Scythe. Oh, I have oh, a hard that's time. A, that's a beautiful game. The art, the art is, is beautiful, but the color is so depressing and dank yeah. that I just have a hard time playing it. I don't really like it. And so this game, Res Arcana, is a game I really enjoy. Now, if you want to describe it a little bit more than yeah, I just did. The players are rival mages trying to flex on each other, basically. <laughs> and so it's a race to 10 points. You achieve points by using your mage's powers, and each mage is represented by a card that gives you certain elements. You combine elements together to buy other cards in order to enable you to get even more elements to buy more cards to get you to the point where you can afford the big, powerful cards that actually have points on them that win you the game. And so kind of like how Catan is a game where you're racing to 10 points and you are building an economic engine of putting little houses out there to get resources to buy things, this is like that, but there's not really randomness. Instead, each player has their own little hand of cards, their own little deck, and you're just playing from there. So the real challenge of the game is to optimize your starting deck of cards the fastest and buy things from a tableau and do your race compared to other people and there's not so much player interaction except buying things that other people want first and then there's dragons but dragons are easily <laughs> avoided it's a very beautifully illustrated game that's very tight and focused and you can play a few sessions within an hour and a half which to me is a plus and abigail adores it i really like games if you're not starting to get this feeling I like games, well, we kind of mentioned it before, but I like games where you're building your own engine and it's your responsibility to do it. And mostly, mostly people can't thwart you, which is the absolute opposite of yeah. the way you like to play. So within board gaming, there's a term called a Euro game, 
It's a style of game popularized by German game designers, and these are games where there's a few key features. Catan is actually the most famous Euro game. The first is players cannot be eliminated from the game. So Risk, Monopoly, games that are entirely about literally driving other players from the game, Euro games don't do. Have you ever played a game of Catan where someone was kicked out? Doesn't work that way. Yeah. The second thing is your victory comes in the form of abstract victory points. So, you know, 10 points, whatever. Where's Risk? dominate the world monopoly drive someone to bankruptcy and be the last one standing so it works that way and then usually there's some kind of time limit to the game or scoring condition like that again 10 points five rounds something like that and player conflict is minimal they're very passive aggressive games Catan, you built a road where i wanted to build a road and now i must build a road somewhere else <laughs> and that's as spicy as it gets i love it yeah so res arcana is in that style of passive aggressive game and abigail like many women maybe prefers passive aggression to avert aggression <laughs> in gaming in game and so what's your oh, wait no i'm the passive aggressive <laughs> darn it darn it in board games not as in life i was gonna say yeah. so strategic so my favorite strategic game is nevsky oh my god yeah. guys i'm just gonna say right off the bat no one here is going to no play, one here's play, gonna play game. that game. Yeah. <laughs> but they might look it up and then realize how far gone I am. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to go into great detail about it, which means I might. Uh, Nevsky, <laughs> Nevsky is a game about the Teutonic Knightly Order's invasion of Kievan Rus. Uh, or no, not Kievan Rus. Novgorod uh, in 1240. The Germans invaded Russia, basically, to try and take their land and forcibly convert them to Catholicism because the Russians were Orthodox. And this is a strategy war game between two players. One's the Germans, one's the Russians. But the entire pitch of the game is that it's about medieval operational warfare. So it's not about, oh, I move my troops to the left on the field and you move your troops to the right. And I did this version. No, it's about, do you have enough carts to transport the grain that you gathered across the muddy roads before winter sets in and your troops starve in the desert? Yeah. Oh, someone chased you around the uh, map and you kept avoiding battle, but you had more food than they did. So eventually they decided to go away and you won this way. I love that stuff. Because every single time I've played this game, and I've explained the game to four different people, so I've learned it very thoroughly by <laughs> teaching it, I love that every single plan you ever come up with completely falls apart because you did not come up with a absolutely bulletproof idea of how you're going to transport your food around oh because gosh. it leads to horrific scenarios where like half your army just leaves. Oh my god! And you just lose the battle that way. And it's hilarious to me. So this is a game that I have never played. And will never play. I will never play it. Because it is just too rules intensive. It's very rules intensive. And it's such an esoteric historical subject. And I'm <laughs> obsessed with it. I even got the uh, sequel game, Almoravid, which is about the invasions of the Christian Spanish kings into the Muslim held Spanish lands in 1085. So I, uh, I just learned that we have. Oh, I've had game. that for like four or five months. Well, didn't know it. Okay. Yeah, I'm playing it with one of my boys when he comes into town next week. <laughs> Okay, next up is economic games. So I'll start mm -hmm. Imperial 2030. Oh, I like Imperial 2030. Yeah, it's a fun game. And it also has a little bit of not war, but there's a map. Yeah, and the map there's is a fun. risk style map. And it's a very unique game. It's very unique. And it it has a lot to do with banking and money and 
it's just an interesting game that I don't think really has any other comparison to it. My Acquire only- is actually the closest because it's an investment oh, that's game. That's interesting. I love I love Acquire too, actually. I didn't even think of that. But Imperial 2030, um, the one thing that I will say about it is that it takes a little bit of time to get it going. Like the yeah. first... The uptake period takes too long. Yeah, the first section of it takes a little too long. So that's a little annoying. But once you're into the heart and the meat of it, it's good. It's fine. Yeah. So Imperial 2030, I have to describe it a little bit because it's so unique. So imagine a risk-style map, and you have six major countries on it. You have the U.S., Brazil, the European Union, treated as a country here, Russia, India, and China. And then all other territories on the Earth are divided up into just kind of neutral colonial zones. But the thing is, the players are not these countries. We're all investment bankers in Switzerland. We don't play the countries. We play the bankers. So in the beginning of the game, you use your starting amount of money to buy bonds in these countries. And uh, there's a selection of bonds ranging from like $2 million in price to $30 million in price. And there's gradations in between. But once everyone does the starting auction of the bonds, whoever holds the most value of bonds in a country controls its government. So So Abigail can have $5 million invested in the U.S. and I can have $2 million invested. So Abigail controls the U.S. for now. But later on throughout the game, everyone has an opportunity to buy more bonds in these countries. So if someone buys more value of bonds in the U.S. from Abigail, they take control of the U.S. And you can control multiple countries at once. You can control the EU and Russia and China. And if you don't control anything, you just have what's called the investor card and you just kind of passively make money. The whole goal is to have the most money at the end of the game. The way that you get there is that because you hold bonds in these countries, whenever they tax and do an investment move, you can get profit out of them. And your bonds increase in value the more powerful the country becomes. And so you're trying to really invest in a few countries and bring them up to great prestige and then kind of do it on the backs of manufactured conflict with other countries. The rules are actually very simple. And the conflict is the super simplest thing in the world. If you control a country, if you move like a tank, uh, and all army units are tanks, all naval units are just a ship, if you move one unit into a space with another country's unit, you just cancel each other out one-to-one. There's no thought, there's no dice rolling, so it's really all about the investing. It's a very wacky experience, and the bitterness that people have when you take control of a country away from them is just magnificent. <laughs> and it's things are changing control, like footballs. You have no idea where things are going to end up at the end of the game. It's very tactical and not strategic because you got to respond in the moment. It's a lot of fun. It's it's really strange to not control a country. Yeah, you have to wrap uh, and your it's head a very different experience. It. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so what's your economic game? My economic game is Clans of Caledonia. Okay. I love that game. It's a good game. Yeah. Uh, Just to say a little bit more about it from an econ perspective, uh, you know, you're the Scottish clan in the 1800s and you start with across this little depiction of a section of Scotland with its little hexagonal tiles that have mountains on them or lakes or just pasture land. You're trying to put down things like a wheat field or a whiskey distillery or a bread maker or cattle or sheep or what have you. And you're trying to set up your space across the map because you can produce goods from there. You can then take those goods, raw goods like wheat or wool or milk, and you can then turn them into whiskey or cheese or bread and then try and sell that out of Scotland and fill these contracts. And so you're competing against other players to take prime real estate, to choose choice contracts, things like that. 
And it's just wildly entertaining. It's a very good game about trying to manage the resources on the map and trying to beat other people to satisfy certain conditions. And it's a real thinker of a game while being just, you know, very cute. Scotland, 1800s, yeah, say, little cows. It's, got, the, it's a lot Like of fun. I said, I like, the, uh, I like the setting, which is cute. Yeah. It is like an up-jumped Catan in terms of if you're dealing with econ, but there's no trading unlike Catan, and the only randomness in the game is what contracts come out. So everything else is in your hands. So it's much more of a streamlined econ game and much less trading, unlike Catan. So it's just a different challenge and really quite a lot of fun. Highly recommend checking it out. Yep. So what's next? Next up is War Game. Okay, well, I'll start because I hate war games. <laughs> so I did not choose one. I, there is, oh. I, I decided to do a different category, which is word games. <laughs> word games. Word games. I hate war games. So I'm curious to hear which one you choose because there are so many options. But my word games are Scattergories and Boggle. These ones you've probably heard of or played. I love them both. They're really fun. Scattergories is naming certain things under a genre with that all start with the same letter. So for example, if it said things at the beach, and then you would say things at the beach that start with P, you know, different stuff like that. Then you have Boggle, which is kind of like a word search, but it has slightly different rules. You can go backwards, you can go, uh, you can snake around, you can snake around yeah. and you have like three minutes to come up with as many words as possible in this little cube that you sh- that you shake that's filled with dice that have different letters on them. Yeah, the dice are arranged on a, I believe, four by four grid or five by five, whichever five the addition five. is. Yeah, but the dice, each face of the die, the dice has a different letter on it. So when you shake it up and they land, you have a five by five grid of all these different letters. And so you're hunting in this grid of letters to try and generate words. And whoever generates the most words is likely to win. But when you get to scoring, any word you have that any other player has, you cancel out for you and them. So you have to have the most unique words. Yes. And the longer the word, the better. So it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I we, was surprised that Jacob it likes it because Jacob generally doesn't like games that aren't rules intensive, but he enjoyed it. And that made me super excited. We still have to order it in person, like yeah. have it in person. So Indeed. what did you choose for your board game? Uh, a game that you like. A game that you've won. A game that once you realize it's a war game what will make it? you go, oh, yeah, I guess it is. Time of Crisis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, I got the reaction I expected. <laughs> so Time of Crisis is one of my favorite games. Uh, and it's one of these strange ones. So it's Time of Crisis, the Roman Empire in the crisis of the third uh, century. So the setting is you're in Rome. It's the 200s. And during this time period, Rome cracked up into like three separate little mini empires. They were beset by civil wars, barbarian invasions. It was a mess. And then they (laughs) really miraculously came back together towards the end of the second century. And then they lasted on until the 400s. The game has uh, two to four players playing just generic Roman noble houses during this time period. Uh, sorry, Kiddo is playing with a rattle in the background. I'm curious if it's coming up on here. Yeah, I'm curious as well. So you guys are getting thunder. You're getting baby making noises. You're baby getting babble. rattle. It's it's going to be a, a fantastically clean sounding podcast, but you're getting the real life of the Ross. Of, of a classic couple. Of the classic couple. Yeah. So this game, your generic Roman noble houses, and you're trying to have the most prestige points by the end of the game. 
And the way you do that is you have a hand of cards. These cards have different points on them, military, civil, or like populace. And you're using them to try and raise up generals and invade each other's provinces, put governors in charge of places, get the populace to love your governors, all so that you can get more political power to buy better cards and build a deck of these cards with different powers on them so that you can eventually try and seat yourself as the emperor of Rome and defend yourself in that position against the other players and against just barbarians that invade you that are controlled by a deck of cards. It's so much fun because designing that deck of cards and choosing what to buy and how to set up your strategy and how to mess with other players because it's so high conflict is just really a very good time. I very well could have put this under my conflict games because it's so in your face with the other players. Mm -hmm. And just every time we've played, people get real uh, in each other's face. Except and it's, me. Except Abigail. Uh, <laughs> I play every game, like an econ a Euro game. game. Yeah. Like a Euro game. Like I just hide myself away so that no one can fight me. And then I just keep building and building in silence until somebody doesn't notice. And then I win the game. Or somebody notices and I very quickly lose the game. Those are the two options. Or no one notices, but you don't quite win. And then you just kind of fade into obscurity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this game, I highly recommend for any like anyone to buy for someone who's into history and kind of likes board games a little bit. The rules are really not tremendously uh, tough. Uh, they're, I'd say, like medium weight. Mm -hmm. And it is so unique and fun. It's a hand management deck building war game. It's fun. That's great. Yeah. Number 11 is party games. So this is my category. <laughs> <laughs> um, you start this time, though, because I think I've gone the first couple times. All right. So for my party games, I have a three-way tie. Okay. I have a two-way tie. So for me, the first one is Monikers. I have that on yeah, my list. Yeah, Monikers. So Monikers is an up-jumped charades, and I believe that people have played this under different banners before, like Punchbowl or whatever, mm -hmm. where you make your own categories. Here, you have a deck of cards, a big box of cards, kind of like Cards Against Humanity, but it's not for annoying uh, blue city downtown morons to be <laughs> transgressive with each other and pretend right. that they're edgy and interesting instead of just vile yeah i really exactly. hate cards against humanity well, and it only, so so much well, and the thing about cards against humanity is that it's funny the first time and then by even the second time you're like i so don't care about this and for a game that's literally composed of rape and dead baby jokes they're so insufferably woke and self-righteous you don't get to make dead baby jokes in your card game go haha dead baby's funny because it's so out there and then talk about the notion of forced birth and how you want to help people murder their own children i agree with that statement yeah, yeah. Um, but in another note, go, going, yeah, going away from awful cards against humanity to monikers, monikers is a form of charades where they have a deck of very fun prompts for you, and they all have different points on them, these prompts, but instead of the normal charades where you just start off with, oh, I drew, I don't know, a squid, and I just got a pantomime being a squid, here you have a first round where you have anything that all that you want to use as a clue to say to people about what the card is, except the name of the thing itself. So, okay, everyone goes through the deck. You're all familiar with it. In the second round, the clue giver is limited to using a single word and no gestures or like grunts or noises. So now it's really hard. But because the first round you could say anything, you've kind of made your own references and inside jokes for it. And then the third round, straight charades. And so Abigail always loves to describe this as an inside joke generator. Yes. Because... Due to going over the same cards three times, but with progressively more and more limits on how you can express yourself, 
you're forced to use internal references and it's very memorable and a lot of fun and it gets wacky. And it's a great way to make inside jokes with people you've never met before or people you're not close with. It's a fantastic icebreaker of a game. It is. Yeah. So I'll go next, which is Jackbox TV. Yeah, I was thinking of that as a potential answer, but I just stuck with physical games. Yeah, I was thinking about it, but Jackbox TV is a game that you actually play through your computer or through an Xbox and you connect your phone to it and you can play a bunch of different games through there that are just really fun, get everybody involved, super, super great. I can't give you a specific example of games because they've got so many and at this point they've got so many different party packs. But you recommend to check them all out. But I really recommend checking them all out. We can talk about which ones are our favorite in the future if uh, people really like Jackbox or want to know which ones to buy. Yeah. Because there are now at least eight party packs and they can cost up to like 25 or $30. We got to do a live stream. And we own all of them. Jackbox. Because I like to waste money. No. I want to do a live stream playing Jackbox. So now let's talk about, oh, you have another one. We have more. Yeah. Dead Last. Dead Last is Dead Last is a very fun one. And the most successful time we played was with Abigail's family at a Passover program uh, because we got to see her dad betray her brother, which if you know her family is a significant event. It was very, very funny. And he was gleeful as he did it. So I will (laughs) always hold on to that memory. But Dead Last, uh, in short, is a game where everyone has a color Uh, You're the teal guy, you're the green guy, you're the yellow woman, whatever. Uh, You have your cards, and everyone has a card that corresponds to each of the other players and one that corresponds to themselves. And what you do is everyone looks around and furtively tries to indicate whose card they're going to put down. Once everyone's put down a card, you flip them all over, and whoever got the most votes is killed off. Yep. Whoever did not vote for the person that got killed off is killed off. Yep. And so it's all about basically trying to coordinate yourself secretly to gang up on one person and be with the crowd. But the thing is, if you suspect you're the one who's going to be killed off, you can just put your own color card face down. And when it's revealed, you do an ambush on the gang trying to kill you and you choose one of your attackers to kill off. But if you were wrong and you weren't the one who selected and you put your ambush card down, then you die. <laughs> and so it goes and goes and goes until you're down to two people. And then you do just a normal prisoner's dilemma thing where you have some gold bars, which are the actual points of this game that you choose to share, attempt to steal or run away with. And yeah. you run away, you get one, you attempt to steal, you could take all of it. But if the other person attempts to steal two, you're both killed off. And it's just a lot of fun. It's really good. And my last one is Wavelength. Wavelength is really, really great. But we also, it's funny. We own this game, and we will tell you about it in a minute, but you can definitely play it sort of quote-unquote competitively with teams. We have yet to do that. We've mm-hmm. only ever played it just for fun as a way to get everyone we together. We have literally never played this according to the rules where you uh, would be competitive. When it's competitive, it's akin to playing Taboo. Yes. But when it's not, it's just like a fun social bonding prompt so the whole premise of the game is that you have the wavelength meter which is just a semicircle that has a cover that can go over the semicircle part there's a dial that when you spin it it makes uh, a little swatch of the semicircle colored in like a little wedge of it the whole point is that you're trying to get people to guess where on this semicircle, a certain thing is, wow, this is an odd description. It's hard Basically, to Basically, the it. whole point is that the prompts in this game are bipolar. So you have... A, you might even say antonyms. 
Yeah, antonyms. So it could be things that are hot, things that are cold, things that are art, things that are just commerce, stuff like that. So one end of the semicircle is one of those, and the other end is the opposite. And when you spin that dial, that by kind of like color wedge is going to lean more in one direction or the other and by a certain degree. And so when You're you present that- You're trying to give that, a clue yeah, that will get people to guess to the degree of which you think it is one thing or it's opposite. Yeah. So, you want them to guess right on it and it's covered for everyone else. So they don't know what it is. So it's entirely based off your prompt. So last night, for example, when I spun my dial, my prompt was art versus commerce. And the wedge ended up all the way on the commerce side. No, all the way on the art side. Mm -hmm. So I gave the prompt of a chazan, which is the guy who does the lyric recitation of the liturgy at a synagogue. And I thought that those guys were not paid. <laughs> I thought that they were just volunteers who did it for the beauty of the participation. I was wrong. They, in fact, can be very highly compensated. And so we were playing with my in-laws. So my father-in-law was like, oh, well, of course, that's entirely commercial. And so he had us do the little um, indicator all the way to the opposite side at Commerce. No, he didn't. He yes, did he did. All the way? Very close, Very to, all close to all the way. Yeah. Uh, and he was completely off the mark because my clue was garbage. <laughs> and it was very entertaining. And I learned something yesterday. Right. But it's a very entertaining game that yeah. we adore. And uh, of everything on this list, this is probably the one that I more highly recommend than a lot of other things that people pick up. Yeah. Because they'll get a lot of mileage out of it. I agree. So we've only got three more categories and we're going to blast through them. So number no number 12. We're on number 12 now, right? It's a kid's game. Kid's game. And you already mentioned it, actually. Mine. What was it? Taboo. Oh, Taboo's your kid's game. I love Taboo. And I think it's really fun to play with kids. Now, of course, they have to be a little bit older. I mean, theoretically, if you want to play a really good game with kids, it would just be Candyland because that's easy and fun for them. You but said a really good game. Candyland is not a really good it's game. It's a really good game for little kids because yeah. it's just they have to recognize colors and they have to. That's fun. But if you're talking about kids who are just a little bit older, Taboo is a lot of fun. Um, you've probably played it before. It's just kind of giving clues so that people can guess a word and you're not allowed to use certain words to give clues. So I like Taboo a lot, but we have never, we've never played it. I just like it. I've played it with my family a lot years yeah. past. We've never not, played it together. Yeah, not recently. I was going to say Space Cadets Dice Duel. So <laughs> this is something I just happened to come across uh, two or three years ago, but it's a ship-to-ship -ship space combat game where... Each team controls a spaceship, and your little ship's just a dinky plastic piece on a square grid board. And what's fun is that each ship has a number of stations, up to four stations, and it should be ideally four versus four. And on each team, one person has a station and one's captain, and the captain is rolling dice to represent energy he's assigning it to the different spots on the ship the different stations and those players have to then roll the dice and try and get it to match certain symbols on their ship just to move the ship around get to face directions get a lock on the other ship and try and blow them out of the sky we played this with my nieces at a passover program and at the time they were six and eight i believe yeah i think that's right yeah and they loved it. They had a great time. So they were old enough to understand it, but still not that old, six and eight. And they were super into it, rolling the dice. An adult should be captain for each ship, but the kids only just have to roll dice and kind of follow your instructions. And they're super into the competition of it. And it's a very cartoony sci-fi theme. Tremendous fun. Yeah, totally agree. 
Well, number 13 is negotiation game. So what do you put for yours? Chinatown. Chinatown. I put Chinatown as well for the reasons that we've already discussed. This is the pure negotiation game. That's yes. really all the gameplay is, and it benefits from it. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think Chinatown's been the most mentioned game on this list, I would guess, for both of us. Uh, alongside Clans of Caledonia for me. Yeah, well, I named Chinatown twice. You named Chinatown... Twice. Twice, so yeah. Yeah, I had Chinatown under parent game, and I had crossed it out to put Cosmic Encounter. <laughs> it's funny. Well, number 14 is a two-people game, a two-person game. Yes. So I'm curious to know what you put. I want to hear yours first before I blow your mind with the disappointment of what I put for my two-person oh, game. Oh, no. I put Battle Line. So tell them about Battle Line. I don't know how to describe it that well. I guess I could try. It's sort of it's sort of like a deck game in the sense that you literally have... It's like a card game. You could play it game. with a playing card deck, maybe. Yeah. And you're doing similar things as in poker. So you're trying to... Right? You're trying... No. I, get so a flush. This is based and, on some German game called Schottentotten, as far as I'm aware. But you're trying to build things that are straights and flushes. True, and, but poker is about... So I think of poker, I think of like betting as a major component All to I it. mean when I compare it to poker is that you are looking to get like a full card house patterns. or yeah. card patterns. And you can describe the rest of the game because I'm not as good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're better at the game than I am. I it's really just the like descriptions it. that I'm more familiar with. Yeah. So Battle Line is a very light, easy to play card game that can be played in as little as 10 minutes, but usually about 15. And it's set in a medieval battlefield at least the edition we have there's also one based on sound of the great but mm -hmm. it doesn't matter it's like an older battlefield and you have nine different little location cards you set them out in a horizontal row and then you're gonna have a hand of i think five or six cards each round uh, a player is going to play one card to a battlefield and then draw a new card and what you're trying to do is you're trying to win either five total battlefields or three that are adjacent to each other. And the way that you win is that certain sets of cards, a set of cards is three, are worth more than others. So if you have cards all of the same suit that are all sequential in number, that's the most powerful thing there is. The only way to beat someone who's put that down is to have the same thing, but of a higher value of cards. Uh, and then the lowest is just adding the sum of cards together. Yeah. But you can have everything of the same suit. You can have things in sequence. You can have three of a kind. These are like the uh, different patterns of cards. So it's a game of like push and pull because once you commit a card to one of the nine little battlefields, you can't pick it up and you can't move it. So the other player can see that it's there. And you're working off of the same master deck. So there's only one of each card in there one to ten and one of six different suits so you're trying to game out in your head how little power you need to devote to a battlefield to beat someone because you want to save your big very powerful combos you know like the royal flush type stuff um for where you need it most right. so like game each other out psyching each other out making bluffs of oh i have this in my hand i can put it down later you don't know it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of game for what it is that you can play in 15 minutes. And I think the reason I like it so much, much better at it than I am. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think the reason I like it so much is because I did grow. It's funny because I grew up playing board games because on Sabbath, that's one of the ways you pass the time. And I grew up playing a lot of games, card games, like deck games. And I enjoy the practice of building, you know, flushes and full houses. I grew up on that. So for me, this is fun and, and almost easy. So I like that part of it. But what's your two-person game? Nevsky. 
Yeah, so we're never going to play that, but enjoy. <laughs> I mean, it's a it nice is. thing you have a couple of friends who will play this game with you. And well, I one of them dropped out. Back. So uh, one of my boys was like, yeah, no, I've tried this. You're, you're playing it with this other guy instead. I can't do it. <laughs> this other friend who I have played it with and will be playing it with again is a convert to East Orthodox Christianity. And so our joke is that he always has to play the Russians because they're <laughs> Orthodox and defending Orthodoxy against the Catholics. And so it's just a lot of awful jokes about me playing as a Jew, sorry, playing as a Jew, playing the Germans invading Russia to crush the <laughs> Russians and just leaning into the irony of that. And then him making jokes unironically from the point of view of an Orthodox alpha male trying to defend great Russia against Catholic barbarian hordes. And That's uh, pretty funny. It's, we, it's the memes, but then also the gameplay is tremendously intricate and soul crushing. Yeah. And we love it. And he also tries to play in the stupidest way possible by hiding in castles and taxing his peasants while even while under siege just to bankroll <laughs> everything against the far superior German forces. And it works. Oh, no. Uh, it's very fun. That's so really we, funny. we love that game. Uh, and it's so stupid. Well, I hope you guys got a lot of board game recommendations from our podcast today, and I'm going to try my best to link everything in the newsletter so that if you are interested in buying any of these games, oh, you can good luck buy them with yourselves. some of them. Yeah, I mean, only the ones that I can. <laughs> Hopefully, find. the stuff's in print. Yeah, exactly. So keep an eye out for that if you are looking for some new games. Uh, I hope you are enjoying the rattle in the background because I'm pretty sure the mic is picking it up here. But now. You've waited long enough for our classic thought of the week. <laughs> All right. And what is that classic thought? So today I want to talk a little bit about how to get the house cozy and ready for the fall. If you follow anyone on Instagram, you've probably seen people buying really elaborate setups for the fall season for Halloween. They're buying pumpkins. They're buying blankets. They're buying uh, little ghosts to hang around the house, whatever else it may be. And I want to just say that even though I personally like to take out some seasonal decor for fall, not everybody does, but I think it's important and lovely to make the house cozier as you move into a colder season. So even if you decide you don't want to go all out with pumpkin themed decor, just buying or putting out a couple cozy blankets on the couch or getting some candles that are unscented, but just make the room feel a little bit more. What's a word that's not cozy for the 50th time? It just intimate. intimate. It makes the room feel a little more intimate. That is a lovely thing to do as we move into the fall season. So do something that makes your home feel warm and inviting as we get a little bit colder in our weather. Not not in Florida, but in everywhere else. <laughs> well, it is relatively cold, right? It's just never going to get cold. I don't know how cold it's going to get in the fall. I think we it'll get cold. We need to experience it. I don't know myself. Yeah, we'll just have to find out. I do need to mention, for the sake of the audience... Uh, they must learn that our son is on his back in his little playmat area where he has a wooden rattle suspended over him mm -hmm. and he is using his feet to grip and shake the rattle <laughs> and it is amazing to behold. He's really, he's really amazing. He's the best. He's, yeah. he's the best baby there's ever been. He's the king of babies. I tell it to him. I hope he'll internalize it and become the baby king he should be for all, all of our sake. For all of our sake. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. Make sure to leave a comment down below if you've tried any of these board games. 
let us know which one. And if you haven't, if you have your own recommendation that we didn't mention, please share it below. We're always mm-hmm. looking for new things. And by we, I mean Jacob. Oh, I'm so- always looking to buy new and more board games that will be in shrink wrap for time to come before I maybe play it. <laughs> so we'll see you guys in our next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.